Joshua Tanqueray. How the devil are you? Stuart Lennon. Oh, wow. This is weird. I sound different. Oh, I am different. You do sound different. You sound backwards. Very much backwards. I'm JT. I'm Justin, not TJ. That's why I said Joshua Tanqueray, you see? Yeah. Well, loyal listeners, as you will know, TJ is off on his mini moon. <laughs> it sounds good, though, doesn't it? Mini moon. I like that. TM, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's touring touring the sites of Northern Ireland, and there are more of those than you might believe. Which, before we go any further, and uh, we talk a little bit more to the new TJ, or JT, as he likes to be known, uh, just a correction from last week, and I'd like to thank Dave. Thank you, Dave. Uh, who pointed out that there's rather more than 280,000 people in Belfast, as TJ had suggested. Uh, In fact, there are 634,000 people in Belfast. So uh, our apologies to the good people of Belfast. That's just a rounding error, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you could say that. That's exactly what I said to Dave in the chat. So, well, why have we got JT as a guest? Why have we got you, JT? Well. Because it's the easiest thing to do is to change from TJ to JT. That was the main reason, I think. And if anybody doesn't know, I am the fussy editor referred to from last episode. Fussy editor. Well, fussy might be slightly overstating it. Demanding. Uh, that, was, that was a quote, Stu. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm just, just trying to dig myself out of the hole. What do they say when you're in a hole? Stop digging. Right. Excellent. What are you writing with and on? Right. So this week I've been a little mobile uh, for the first time in a long time. And my joy of use has been a Field Notes heavy duty with a Musgrave Tennessee Red, which is an absolutely gorgeous combination. That led with the Field Notes is just perfect, especially if you're out on the road. So it is fantastic. Ironically, these are the best traveled Musgrave Tennessee Reds that anybody ever has because Musgrave won't sell to Canada. So I had to buy these from Nero's in England. So these are well-traveled Tennessee to England, England back to the West Coast of Canada. Crazy. (laughs) I love the stationary world. We're all barking mad. Pretty much. And then I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about my usual daily use because they're fountain pens. Oh, no, definitely. We can talk about fountain pens. My regular use that sit on my desk and get used every day. I have a Nakaya Long Cigar in Akitemanori, which is absolutely gorgeous. I have a collection of Leonardo Memento Zeros, which have rapidly become one of my favorite pens, actually. And my daily Pilot 823. Uh, Those are all my daily writers that have different color inks in them and different nibs. And I use those every day. Absolutely love those. Uh, but yes, the pencil's good too. No, I, uh, I only know of those. I only know the Pilot. And uh, yeah, it's a lovely pen, I have to say. Um, I'm pretty disciplined about rotating through my pens at the moment. So I don't have daily writers. Um, they, I have mm, somewhere between four and six inked up. And, and then the only rule is that when they run out of ink, they can't be filled. They have to be cleaned and I have to use a different pen. Just make sure I get use of everything. Well, those are the other ones that go there, but they, these are the ones that sit on my desk every day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have to have uh, some of those because they just write so nicely. And we won't talk about nibs because you and I will disagree about those. I know you like the big 
fat, juicy nibs. I like nibs. You like cutlery. Yep. <laughs> uh, Japanese fines, Japanese extra fines. Yeah, we won't go there. Yeah, or a fork, as other people would call them. Right. What have I been using? I have been, um, I, I've switched out of my Lockbee. So I have a Lockbee Quattro, which I use, have been using to carry, as the name might suggest, four pens around. And just last week, I changed out into a Lockbee Tool Roll. I don't know if you've seen one of these. I haven't yet. It is. It's like wearing a placard around my neck that says stationary nerd. I know this because I sat in a business meeting and realized I needed to take a note, which is not particularly unusual. So I opened up my briefcase, which of course contained at least six notebooks that I could use, and then pulled out this big black roll. And it's, you know, it's, it's not difficult, but it's a definite action to unfurl it. There's a catch on it. So I, I struggle to get the catch off and then sort of this big reveal of massive fountain pens and rulers and erasers and sharpeners. And the people, I can see people looking at the black wing sharpener going, Fuck, who is this person? What, what is he doing? And eventually I sort of, <laughs> and they go, mm, and pull out an Estabrook, <laughs> unscrew it carefully and start writing in pink ink in a yellow notebook. And people are going, what on earth is he doing? Um, so uh, I, I wrote in the show notes, I'm out and proud. But then I realized that, you know, that's probably not exactly the right phrase. Somebody else has got that one sorted. But um, <laughs> if, if you want people, if you want people to to really see your love for stationery, what you need is a tool roll. Get that out. Dave Tubman, there you go. There's your challenge. Take one of those to, I don't know, a litigation meeting. I'm sure that'll go down well. That is a big tool roll. I've got a couple of uh, different tool rolls. I've got the Pilot Pen Symbol. I've, uh, what's the other one that I have? I've got the Superior Labor uh, Pen Roll. But this one, certainly... And out and loud is certainly uh, definitely the words for it. Uh, how how many slots does it have? It's got, what, 10 slots, 11 slots? Yeah, I'd love to open it up. So opening it live, and we'll unflap the top. Uh, so on the left-hand side, as I look, I have a little zip section, which contains um, sharpeners and stuff. Mm -hmm. Then I have four broad slots. So in there, I've got a ruler very comfortably. I've got um, a big, flat Stadler eraser. Then I've got four more, four more. So yeah, it's 12 slots. And behind the, the pen slots, if you will, you could have three field notes side by side. So you've got three separate pockets. I don't have any field notes or, or similar in there at the moment. I've just got writing implements and accessories in here right now. I was going to say, I know where you can get some field notes. Yeah, exactly. But as I say, I, 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 I hadn't really thought about it how people would react when they saw it. And it was, it was actually, it was a couple of lawyers that I was in a meeting with, just looking at it with this sort of initially undisguised wonder. And then, then they sort of caught themselves and went, oh, yes, of course we're used to people having ridiculous tool rolls with them. But it's a lovely piece of kit and it, it keeps my, my stuff safe. So I, I also habitually carry a Blackwing uh, pencil pouch. Mm-hmm. Which is lovely. I just feel a bit nervous putting uh, expensive fountain pens in there that sort of rattle around and stuff. I, I like them to have a little bit of a dock. Mm, I understand that one. Rather than carry two things, I'll carry one. Wow. Uh, see, you might have just cost me some more money, Stu. Ah, 
well, sorry about that. Um, as with all Logby stuff, it's really well made. I have to say, Chris does a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Ah, right then. So watching, what have you been watching? Well, I'm not sure if my watching is any different than yours because I'm on the opposite side of the Atlantic. But I've been watching Mythic Quest on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, surprisingly, Apple TV Plus gets a lot of my watching now, which uh, I would never have thought about last year or the year before when it came out with, you know, half a dozen different shows. But I do find what they do is really, really good and very high quality and appeals to me. Uh, Mythic Quest is basically, it's a gaming version of Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and I believe it's some of the best writing out there. It's light. It's fun. They did a COVID lockdown episode last year. Oh, that was awesome. Uh, that just brought a tear to my eye. And this year they poke fun at the right things in the right way. Uh, very, very good show. So uh, have you seen that at all? I, I watched season one. Um, we we were in a routine in the Mountain Hideaway where Mrs. L would go to bed early and I would stay up for an hour. And that was one of the the shows that I would use to fill that hour because I showed her one episode of Mythic Quest and after about 10 minutes, she went, no. Okay, right. Oh, God, we'll just, okay. Let's, let's. Yeah, her, her TV taste is very, I mean, she, you can read to her the opening chapter of Harry Potter and she'll go, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're, well, no, it, it, it's fantasy. It's math. Oh, no. So it's, it, this is just completely missing. Mm. She's just not interested in that stuff at all. So I haven't watched season two. Because currently we're in a, in a place where we go to bed about the same time. Who would have thought it? So um, I've got to find time to, um, to, to watch. So one of the things that I watched were, the other day was uh, a little bit of Snowpiercer. So I watch one episode of Snowpiercer about every two months. So it's going to take me quite a long time to get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's the one on the train, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I, I'm guessing... It's got a sort of, you know, seven or eight show lead in until you're really into it. And I'm, I'm about five, I think. So I, I keep going back to it going, this is odd. This is weird. But yeah, it's on a train. It's a, it's a thousand carriages long and it just has to keep going around the world, which is frozen in some sort of post-apocalyptic winter. And if it stops, everybody dies, basically. Winter, something you know nothing about down there. No, no, I moved away from winter. I saw winter and ran away. What about it? What else are you watching? So one of the things, when you're talking about uh, things that you watch with your wife and having to sneak in the Mythic Quest, uh, my wife and I last year got away from a lot of dramas on television. Uh, You know, been at home all day. There was enough negative stuff out there. Sure. We started watching cooking shows, which is kind of ironic because both of us are vegetarians and most uh, cooking shows do tend to be meat heavy, but they've been really, really enjoyable. And we just finished watching Canada's MasterChef, uh, which I think MasterChef does a version for every big market. Mm -hmm. But this was one that was filmed during the pandemic. So the rules were a little different and the people were a little different. And it was just a really interesting new season of something that we got to see the real world as it is today kind of thing. And it was just a real joyful experience. It's light. We can watch sort of one show and we feel like we spent some time together and there's no drama in it. There's nothing negative. Mm -hmm. Sure, It's kind of a new thing for us. And it's been quite enjoyable to watch a bunch of these and learn how to cook things that we'll never eat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just look at it. Wow. 
What is that? That's that's a moose of something. A moose of porridge. Okay, fine, splendid. Yeah, we we watched a few of them, uh, sort of the early ones, because it. I'm sure it's the same in Canada, the US, everywhere. But it spawns all sorts of things. So you get Master Chef, the chefs, Master Chef, the left-handers, Master Chef, the blondes. I mean, it just goes on and on, and you get. Uh, we eventually sort of just tired of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and uh, I don't know, I suppose we'd have to try and find it on catch-up or something over here, which would be uh, far too much effort. Don't do that sort of thing. Just go and sit on the terrace and enjoy the weather. Yeah, it was uh, on our streaming channels up here, so uh, it was pretty easy to find. And, you know, we haven't watched one because of the COVID situation. There hasn't been one for a couple of years, and it was kind of nice and light. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything about Lizzie's story? A new release that just dropped on Apple TV last week. Uh, no, I haven't. That is a Stephen King novel. I'm a big Stephen King fanatic. Uh, I grew up with him writing stuff that scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> I couldn't sleep for the whole night because I was uh, under the bed covers with a flashlight uh, reading Stephen King. But he actually wrote the teleplay on it. And this is an executive producer, J.J. Uh, Abrams' crew, oh, wow. Bad Robot. So the the storyline is pretty interesting. It's very Stephen King, but it is not somebody else's adaptation of Stephen King. It's Stephen King doing Stephen King. Production values are super high on it. Uh, the first two episodes dropped last weekend on Apple TV, and I think it's an eight-part series. So we, uh, we watched the first couple of those. It's it's weird, as you would expect from a Stephen King novel, but definitely worth watching if you like a little bit of mystery and suspense and otherworldly stuff as well. Cool. I, I'll put that one on the list. Again, I have to be careful with Mrs. Lennon. So, sorry, I've just been, been attacked by a Jack Russell. Wait, what? What do you want? There we are. He doesn't often appear in the podcast because he just goes to sleep, but because we're recording slightly earlier... We are approaching the time where the Jack Russell feels that he should get fed. Ah. So he's now chewing my fingers. Yes, yes, thank you, Charlie. Lovely. Off you go. The princess got fed just before we started recording, which is why it was a couple of minutes. Ah, well, at some point soon, my wife will return from wherever she has been spending my ill-gotten gains and um, try and remove the dogs from the office quietly. Now, bearing in mind that my wife is going to be arriving in a BMW X3, which is going to be parking about four foot from my left ear, I think it's unlikely that it'll be quiet. But still, we can uh, we can fix it in post. Two editors this week. That fussy editor will be uh, having his work cut out for him. But you notice how TJ just retained the right for the final edit. Did you notice that? I, I did notice that, yes. Uh, just so we can't say anything uh, but nice things about him. I think we have to be kind. Though there is nothing bad to say. And uh, we thank you, TJ, for inviting me on. And more importantly, I hope you're having a fantastic uh, vacation. A mini moon. A mini moon. That's it. Um, Well, the first first, uh, Instagram post that I saw of the mini moon involved a very large donut, which I think is a great way to start, personally. Um, Get the donuts in. Right. Well, I know you, you, as well as me, have been watching uh, Swish Apple presentations because we did our. Um, well, slightly ironic chat that has become a new um, Justin and Stuart tradition through the uh, through the keynote, the running commentary. Mm, yes, from a sarcastic uh, side. Well, yeah, well, I suppose we're both old and crusty now, so we're, we're allowed to be cynical. Um, so I watched that. I watched also uh, Sinner, season three, uh, which is the Bill Pullman is the sort of uh, unifying thread. 
And then uh, he sort of, well, it's the exact same plot with three different characters um, for the three seasons. It's, it's a bit odd. It's finished now. I, I think that's the best thing I can say about it. I, I think season one was the best, and that's never a good sign that you make two more. But having said that, I'm sure there'll be a season four coming to prove me wrong. <laughs> of course. What about listening? Have you been listening to anything good? Yeah, I've been listening to music for, well, I shouldn't say for a change. I swing back and forth between music and podcasts, depending on what I'm working on. And my favorite artist, Gary Newman, uh, I, you're old enough to actually remember Gary Newman when he first came out. Cars. Yeah. That was it uh, from the late seventies. He just released his new album last week. Uh, came in at number two on the UK charts, which for a guy uh, in his, I think he's about 60 now, pushing 60 is doing pretty well for himself. A little over overproduced, but a very, very acceptable album. It's growing on me. It's one of those albums. I don't know if you ever get any albums like that, that the first listen, you kind of go, and then the more you listen to it, the more it grows on you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Lots of those. Yeah, this uh, is very much like that. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's just uh, part three of his last two albums. Uh, the, his sound is very dialed in. But I like what he does, and uh, he's a really interesting guy. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, we met him when he came up for a concert here. And we were sitting down having a chat with him. And you know you're old when the chat actually gets into, you know, this is the rock star that I've listened to since, you know, well, I was a little boy and we were sitting there talking about our kids because he's got teenage daughters <laughs> about the same age as mine. And I just thought, oh my God, you know, you've got old when. For sure. Yeah. But poor, the TJ portion of the 18, it's uh, going to who? Get Gary who? Uh, look him up. You'll be very surprised. Sort of, uh, how would you describe him? Sort of electronic pop, wasn't it really? Yeah, he's, his newer stuff is uh, a lot darker, more dark wave stuff than his pop of the 80s. I kind of got out of listening to him in the late 80s when he was trying to sell records. Mm -hmm. uh, but his new stuff, uh, he, he kind of picked his own style and went with that. You know, a lot of people, Nine Inch Nails, for example, look at him as one of the leaders of using keyboards, uh, synthesizers in modern music. And so he's really had a, a great impact on, sure. on, on music as we know it today. Yeah. Well, apart from the young person stuff, uh, on old person music, like we have today. <laughs> yes. Welcome to 1757, the older version. <laughs> That's about it. Well, what have I been listening to? It's, uh, I've actually been listening to some music, which is good, because whenever I listen to some, I think, I should do more of this. And I, I got sort of sent off on a, a couple of trails, one by you. You're welcome. So in Station Me Adjacent, you mentioned a renegade born in the USA, which is, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe this was true. Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen having a chat. It's essentially what happened. And it was a Spotify exclusive. So I had to download spotify i didn't have to actually subscribe to anything and then i've recently learned from the um the 1857 slack that actually you can find it now in the real world as well so i needn't have uh downloaded spotify at all but anyway um mm. it was it was great there was i think it was the third episode uh, i have to admit there was a little tear in my eye as these guys were talking about 
uh, well, some of some of America's more troubling history. And then it sort of trailed off for me. The later episodes, it's just, oh, okay, all right. But it did send me off looking for some Bruce Springsteen to listen to because uh, he could carry a tune, that boy. Yeah. Um, so again, for all the, the old people out there, the, the live the live albums from 75-85. And then another podcast, I'm going to say it was one of the Mac Stories ones, I don't know if you listen to any of those, John Voorhees, who, um, like, like us, is aged, recommended Wolf Alice's new album, Blue Weekend. Oh, I've not heard of this. Yeah, not, not bad. Bearing in mind it's modern, it was, um, it was all right. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> the caveat says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, and of course, um, just like you, it's, it's uh, Dub Dub Week. So I've been listening to 40,000 Apple podcasts getting uh, alternately upset, excited and uh, about all of the new things that are or are not coming. Well, at least one thing, WWDC this year did not cost us any money. Not as yet. Although I would say that I had been holding off on a purchase thinking, well, maybe WWDC will make me rethink this. So it's worth waiting. And it's because, to TJ's great regret, I now regard my iPad as a really expensive coaster. <laughs> that, that I thought, mm, perhaps it's time for me to get a computer that travels, that works. Oh, this sounds interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. as you know, I've, tr- I've tried, uh, I've got a really nice Apple's, uh, Apple's, I've got a really nice Windows laptop, which is absolutely lovely, apart from the fact that it runs this thing called Windows. And despite my best efforts, I, I cannot learn to love it. It's all right for word processing. It's got a lovely keyboard. It's a, uh, what is it now? It's a Lenovo X1 carbon which as far as i can work out means that it's flat um (laughs) it's very light very small it's a it's a wonderful laptop but i just can't get past windows so that's one coaster and then the ipad i just i've got the smart keyboard on it so i've got the big one the Mm 12.9 with the smart keyboard so the sort of floatingy thing which takes this really light piece of glass and turns it into something really heavy like a laptop Mm -hmm. but with uh, it's, it's got the sort of balance of a doddering pensioner. Um, it, it sits on your knee and it, you, you just got to be careful not to push anything because it will just topple over. And it, of course, you know, the well-known sort of issues with, with iPads and it, it, A, it's not a Mac, which I appreciate is me, not it, but, um, B, just so much power that you can't really harness because, you know, it's essentially designed to be a sort of big phone. Mm. And it doesn't like doing things that require lots and lots of power, even though it's got that power. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe they've been saving up the software release so that we can have this amazing software that just, just turns the iPad into the whole, you know, what's a computer thing. But they didn't. It's, they've made some steps, I think it would be fair to say, but nothing that made me think, oh, wow, with iOS 15. This is going to be the perfect laptop for me. So I thought, all right, well, maybe I'll buy a laptop. 
And then this is this is the revolutionary bit for for regular listeners. I actually sat down and thought about. It. I went. I went a bit TJ. I'll be honest. Oh, there's a spreadsheet involved. The, the, well, the analog version. So I I opened a fresh page of the notebook and started writing down pros and cons, and I came to the conclusion that I was I was going to buy the mobile version of my desktop. So my desktop is a, is an X1 Mac Mini. M1. Yeah, yes, sorry, the X1 is the Windows machine. Oh, God, I'm getting old. Uh, so the M1 Mac Mini, and I was going to buy an M1 MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Ostensibly for travel, because that might be a thing again soon. And, uh, and for the travel that I do do, which is all the way up the stairs to the kitchen table. So when I, when I work in the mornings because I get up a few hours before uh, the current visit then, I actually get quite a lot of work done up there. And it's nice to have, you know, it would be nice to have a little Apple laptop that I could flick open and type away. Like, but, you know, you're talking, what are you talking? You're talking a thousand somethings, whether it be dollars or pounds or whatever. And then, of course, by the time you get the upgrades that you actually need, it gets a little more expensive than that. Well, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was going to buy... I, for the first time in my life, I was going to be realistic and sensible about what I was going to use this machine for, uh, which was, you know, my my sort of travel machine, my light. I was going to use it like an iPad. <laughs> After all of that slagging off of the iPad, I was going to use it like an iPad. So I was just going to get the 256 with the with the smaller, uh, the 8 meg RAM, and just, you know, what do I do? I write stuff. I uh, you know, check my email, all those things. But occasionally when I write stuff, it's nice to be able to publish it. And to do that on an iPad, you have to sort of, I have to stick my left arm under my right leg and scratch my nose and I just do all sorts of nonsense where even a small screen on a Mac, you can, you know, I can drag photos across and put them into posts and do all those things that you can't quite do on an iPad. And then I just sort of, I reached that sort of grown up TJ-esque type decision that actually probably isn't the right time. Um, particularly is because they're, they're probably going to release an orange one <laughs> in the fall, or or a yellow one, or a pink one, or something, um, which is going to have a you know a better generation of chip. And oh. anyway, I'm going to shut up talking about uh, Apple, or else this could be the longest episode in history. All right, so I can't be the devil on your shoulder encouraging you to go for it. Huh? I, do you know what I? I, so I think the thing that finally did it was that I would just have the the M1 again. You wanted something more? Yeah, if I wait, then I'll have the M2 or, you know, the M1Q or whatever the hell I'll call it. Because um, the other thing, and I know this is where you're going to be in trouble, is that in the fall or autumn, as we like to say in the UK, they are going to release a big 16-inch or and a 14-inch MacBook Pro with this thing that they used to do. Um, they're called Ports. Uh, Windows people will be very familiar with them, but in a recent Mac, people will have no idea what these things are. But it's a way of attaching things to your computer without using ridiculous dongles. Ah, it's coming back, and Justin is a sucker for a MacBook. <laughs> so I, I, I think I think a powerful MacBook with an amazing screen and lots of ports. I can feel the money leaving his wallet as I speak. I, we will see. It's going to be heavily dependent upon some... Uh, software that I use, which at the moment is not compatible with the M1 Max. 
your fridge would be guest starring in every edit that I did if I <laughs> didn't have my old 2019 15-inch MacBook that uh, is <laughs> maxed out in terms of uh, capacity. It's uh, 32 gigs of RAM. It's got a two terabytes. It's got the faster CPU. It's got, you, you name it. I, I spent too much on it. So yes, I am a sucker, but I love the lightness and portability of that M1 Mac. I have the MacBook Pro, which is basically the same thing, but I did spec bump it with more memory, more storage, uh, you know, the whole bit. Uh, but yeah, the, it is such a fantastic machine. Like you, I get up in the morning, the dog gets up with me, we sit in the kitchen, I work in the kitchen, then I just pick it up and move into my office. And then I do my office work on it. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> I can get away without uh, the 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 dongles and whatever else I don't use a whole lot that needs to be connected, but Oh, it's such a nice light, a clean machine to use, especially from someone that has been using uh, 15 inch, 16 inch laptops for so many years. Yep. This 13 inch is just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and my poor, my poor iPad, I found a use for it the other week. I was out and needed something that had a cell connection and it was about the first time it, well, in a year and a half, whatever, that my iPad has left the house and it was good for cell enabled connection. But really, I miss my MacBook. It was really good. Uh, not that I'm trying to convert you, but... No, I, I, look, ladies and gentlemen, I, I just want you to, to clip this because uh, Justin's just hung himself. Because despite all of that, I guarantee you that when the new MacBook Pros come out... In orange. Well, they're not going to come in orange. I don't think the, the, the higher-end ones are going to come in colour. I think the specs are going to be there and you're going to be going... Mm. <laughs> Mm, yeah. I can I can see one of those finding its way into the uh, the Twyford setup. I mean, the the next generation of the little ones, you know, the the lower end, which I'm looking at as just a simple mobile machine that I I don't need power in. I don't need. I mean, nobody needs more power than the M1 provides. But I think they're going to come in bright colours. I think the screens are going to be better. Um, and it's interesting because I think. If you could find a way, and I'm I'm almost certain that Apple has found a way to to bring the best of the iPad to the best of the laptop, you could make a perfect machine. The reason they won't is because they're a business. And they sell both. And they'd much rather, yes, they'd much rather that they can sell to all the people that want iPad and all the people that want MacBooks and sell both to the people like Justin and I. Because <laughs> let's face it, you take one of those bright colors, whatever your bright color is, orange. Okay, you make a MacBook Air in orange with a brighter screen that is touch sensitive. You put a little slot into it so that you can use a pencil interface if you want to. You add cells, connectivity, or mm. mobile connection. You add SD cards, various ports. Boom! You've got a you've got a little MacBook that will do everything that anybody bar the biggest power users will need in a bright color that they can sit in the cafe, connecting to the to the world. I think it would be one hell of a machine, but I don't think they'll make it. No, I, I would love them if they put uh, cell on my MacBook. Oh my gosh, that would be my iPad life done. But unfortunately for the iPad. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> and I think they know that you, that would be the case for you and it'd be the case for me. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was my, my, uh, oh, well, watching. What about listening? We've done, we've done watching, we've done by reading. What are you reading, Stu? Reading. What am I reading? I've just finished a peak performance by Stuhlberg and Magnus, which is an interesting book. It was, and he might even be listening to this episode. Hi, Alistair. Uh, it's my, uh, my new boss in my new jobby jobby thing oh. who sort of set me in the direction of this. One of the guys was a runner, which is something completely alien to me. The only place I've ever run is to the bar, but he was a, you know, a, a proper sort of high standard could well be Olympic sort of runner. And another was a management consultant, which I do know a little bit about. And he was working for, I think McKinsey. So, you know, sort of top of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, billable hours. And both of these guys uh, from seemingly sort of perfect setups for being right at the very top of their chosen, chosen vocations burnt out. Mm -hmm. And they got together to, to sort of examine why that might be. And so uh, Justin, I know reads a lot of productivity, self-help type stuff, just as I do. And we would well, certainly I recognized a lot of the argument being made in this book, some of which is supported uh, and some of which just appears to be asserted. I am fair. You know, it came out with some, uh, it's a bit unfair because I think all productivity books do this to a certain extent. They, they'll say to you, if you get more sleep, you'll be more rested. Ah. <laughs> and you think, well, that's a bit obvious. But, you know, you, you can't really get yourself in trouble for, for speaking the truth. Sleep is important if you want to be productive. And I think everybody now knows that. But how you present these things, I think, is very important. And some, some of their revelations, it's like, yeah, you're, you're trying to sort of <laughs> claim credit for nature at this point. Stop it. But what they were examining was how um, rest and recuperation uh, recovery affects performance just as much as, as training. So, you know, these guys are mentally going out and, and stressing themselves to the max and then resting properly and blah, blah. So if it's, if this is right up your street, then it, it's a, it's a decent read. If it isn't, you'll probably tire of it quite quickly. I would say, what about you? What are you reading? So I'm, I've got my light reading is uh, a biography on Henry Thoreau called a Ooh. life of the mind which uh, I'm about 100 pages into it, and so far he's uh, just getting out of school and starting his writing career, hanging out with Emerson, chasing after women, you know, all those things you do in your late teens and early 20s, trying to find himself. Uh, But I'm certainly interested in him, obviously. Uh, The North American side, That's he's he's a big influence in sort of the stationary community. He's got obviously the tie to pencils, uh, but he's a very deep thinker. Walden is a fantastic mm. uh, book. If you take that and, you know, decide, Hey, I'm going to move to the country or something strange. Very much uh, on my mind at the moment of uh, how he lived and how he got there. The less fun book that I'm reading is how to take smart notes, uh, which is by Sonky Arons. Uh, that is, well, it's, I'm, I'm experimenting into PKM, um, 
personal knowledge management and using an application called Obsidian, which we've talked about on our other show, Stationary Adjacent. And I'm trying to understand how to take better notes and how to use those and how to take this pile of notebooks that I have and make something out of it, how to make some connections out of there. So taking smart notes seems like a good way to do that. It's pretty heavy reading though. Not the kind of thing you f- before you fall asleep. Mm, yeah, it's a book that I've I've opened a couple of times in exactly that that scenario. So I'm just going to read for five minutes before. I... Um, so I think I might need to have a go at uh, Mr. Allen's uh, in the mornings and see if I can get there. Oh, Jack Russell is back, being insistent again. Um, what about drinking? Have you been drinking anything good? Well, it's a little early for shower beers. It's never early for shower beers, Justin. Uh, you know, I only learned about those from 1857. So uh, thank you, DJ. You taught me something. I am drinking uh, my second of the day, a Nespresso Alto Dolce, which is uh, 375 millimeters of espresso style coffee. Uh, that will get you going in the morning. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, through the power of time zones, uh, it's now evening time for me. And I'm considering... Uh, going and getting myself an adult beverage from the aforementioned fridge. Uh, if I can fight off this Jack Russell, he's now chewing the headphone cable. No, you don't want to do that, young dog. No, thank you. No, he doesn't. Yeah, look. Fussy editors don't like people messing with the... I say the editor's just having a word there, Charlie. Take, take, take cover, young man. So, yes, I'm, oh, I might get myself a, a beer out of the fridge in a second, but I've been drinking a lot of uh, Sinisteri, which is not an easy thing to say. It's a Cypriot grape variety, which makes for a lovely, light, crisp white wine. Mm, that sounds nice. Yeah, Mrs. Lennon calls it the balcony wine because it, it's it's dangerous. This wine, it's very, very cool and refreshing, and you open. It's very easy to drink quite a lot of it quite quickly. One of those you don't know how much you've drank until you stand up. Yeah, or try to. Yeah, exactly. One of those. So uh, I've been drinking a fair amount of that because we've we've summer is is really ramping up now. So we are, you know, in the nineties Fahrenheit, we are all sort of mid thirties and it's just getting warmer and warmer. So, uh, life changes now. All of the things that I thought, yeah, I can do that. I'm, I think I can extend my morning walks now. I can maybe do an hour and then I go, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. This is, this is really hot. And the dogs look at me and go, no, no more. Let's go home. Wow. That is that hot in the mornings too, huh? You don't get the cool overnight. Uh, well, what happens is that my day starts earlier and earlier. Um, but yeah, we're, we're sort of above 20 degrees at night now. Um, and so the minute the sun comes up, it very quickly starts heating up again. Wow. The things that I don't have to worry about on the wet coast of Canada. <laughs> For sure. And I'd expect some, some, some noise any second now because <laughs> the Jack Russell, realizing he's not getting anywhere with me, has now attacked the poodle. <laughs> so th- there's a dog fight unfolding behind me live on 1857. Oh, I'm just going to have to edit all that out. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, and even better, you're going to be delighted. Here comes the BMW. The boss is here. Oh, splendid. Hello, Mrs. L. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. A word from the dogs there. So uh, what about buying? You been buying anything? Ah, uh, nothing too much. Uh, I bought a house last weekend. Does that count? Sorry, I thought for a second you said you'd bought a house then. I, I, I did. I dropped a very, very large amount of money on a house. 
But what was wrong with the, the house you were living in? Well, that you are living in, presumably. Well, I, I did something stupid and I sold it. You sold your house. <laughs> I, you know when people knock on your door and say, I want to buy your house? Uh, so No. I, <laughs> to be honest, no, I don't. That's not happened to me. It has been one of those weird things. I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, I uh, sold my house a couple of weeks ago and then went, oh, great. And then went, oh, heck, I've got to find somewhere to live. So I had to go and find somewhere to buy a house. And I did. Uh, so it was a it was a weird weekend. Uh, we were kind of away looking at houses. I had to sign the papers. And I'm going to confess, I, I feel so bad about this. I had all my nice... Uh, pens with me and i used the cheap hotel biro to sign the papers i feel so bad <laughs> well I, I think in this particular instance it's the signature itself that's important it's the act rather than the tool in this particular uh yeah but when you when you make a big purchase like that you want to make it you know a statement you know this is like a bring out the montblanc signing pen yep and no, I was in the middle of a lake on a small boat and breaking out the big fountain pens didn't seem like a great idea. So <laughs> just hang on, just, just for propriety's sake, can you confirm that there was no duress involved in the buying of this house? You, you weren't being held hostage in a small boat in the middle of the lake. Uh, no, no, it was uh, just one of those things. That was where my real estate agent and I uh -huh. decided we were going to have a conversation and uh but it was interesting it was sort of my first real outing since lockdown and you know we we did a lot of shuffling to maintain social distance we wore the masks but you know what it felt really good to get at least somewhat of a normal life again uh you know and going on the boat was kind of a, a nice way to do that i i just felt really nice so i i recommend it if you haven't been out in like me in a year and whatever it is now um get out there it's good it's fun and you know things are getting better even in canada where we're behind the times i've i'm sorry i i still have this vision of you being out there this is a real estate agent with a gun saying look you sign the papers, you swim with the fishes. Your choice. <laughs> uh, this was my real estate agent, so I think he held the gun or to the seller uh, later in the evening when he was uh, presenting uh, the offer. And then, <laughs> just real estate agent, I know, once I've got him out on the boat, I'll suggest he signs the papers. <laughs> oh, splendid. What a, wow, what a great story for the grandchildren. Fantastic. So, yeah. so where, where did this, this the house come from? Granite? Well, I bought it in the middle of a lake. So uh, is it too much to ask where, where this place is? It's sort of a long way from where you live now? Or? Yeah. So like you, uh, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit because I, I want some advice. Uh, mm. I am torpedoing my life and moving away. Uh, so this is in a small community, uh, about a four hour drive from where I live now, Oh wow! which is, uh, across the mountains and, uh, into wine Valley. Uh, so there's a valley in the central, uh, it's called the Okanagan area. And we, we make some really wonderful BC wines there. Fantastic. This house is in a rural neighborhood of a town that has under 12,000 people. So it is going to be a big change right now. I live in Vancouver. Well, I live in the suburbs of Vancouver, but like most towns, it's urban sprawl. Hmm. Uh, so 
between me and Vancouver is nothing but more houses, more businesses, more roads. And there is, there's no gap anymore. You know, it's just sure. part of life. Uh, and this one is really a get out to the country and try everything kind of like you. It's not going to be a mountain hideaway, but it's going to be a valley hideaway. Oh, fantastic. Well, we, we, we shall return to this presently. It's a bit difficult to follow that. Uh, what have I been buying? What, what did you buy? Yeah. Well, uh, not a house, uh, I'm delighted to say. But similarly, you know, the whole sort of, okay, we're, we're getting out a little bit now. So restaurants are open here, outdoors at least. And once you're at your table, you can remove your mask, which is, is very liberating. And so I've been going to some business meetings. Mm, nice. And I, I think it's fair to say that that lockdown living uh, hasn't been quite as active or or indeed as 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 healthy as maybe pre-lockdown living. So I, I appear to have um I, I've I've been overwashing my clothes because they all seem to have got smaller. Which is fine, apart from the fact I I'm now at the point where I have one pair of trousers that don't make me look slightly ridiculous. Hmm. And I'm now going, I'm at the stage where I'm going to meetings with people for a second time who are looking at me going, mm. Oh, you wore the same suit the last time. Yeah. Aren't, aren't those the pants he was wearing last time? Uh, so I've got a few shirts, but I am a bit short on the pants front. So I've bought some clothes, which because of the joys of Brexit now are, are being delivered to the UK. And then uh, Claire, the wonderful Claire, will unpack them put them in a box and put a big sign on it saying, no, these are just his normal clothes. You don't need to tax the legs off him at customs. <laughs> and then they will either get taxed or not. And by some random amount too. Yeah, some completely random amount. Uh, so there's that. And that will then, I'll be like, well, I'm sending a package now. I may as well pick up this, that, and the next thing. But that's not happened yet. I'm, I'm resisting the temptation so far. Uh, so not quite a house, I have to say. What about quotes? Do you have a piece of quoting wisdom for us? I do, actually. This was uh, Benjamin Hardy. He's a writer and one of those uh, self-confessed YouTube personalities. Uh, some of that stuff is a little hard, but uh, some of it is actually uh, pretty good. His quote, I'm not sure if it's his originally, is 100% is easier than 98%. And he, he kind of talks about this in terms of behavior. If you say you're not going to do something, it's a lot easier to commit to that decision than it is to give yourself an option. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, you know, speaking of the pants that uh, have shrunk, uh, you know, uh, that COVID weight, um, it is a lot easier to say, no, I don't eat sweets, than I'm just going to have a limited amount of sweets. Oh, yeah. The 100% is easier than 98. Oh, yeah. Because as soon as you give yourself wiggle room, you are inviting failure into your life. And that is kind of something that, you know, I'm kind of looking at, uh, you know, my sweatpants are getting a little tighter. So uh, yeah, I've got to look at the same thing that you do. And I don't want to buy a new wardrobe. Yeah, no, I mean, it's absolutely true with me and alcohol. Um, I, I can drink. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I've got to be honest. Um, and I could not drink. I'm pretty good at that too. But the bit in the middle uh, where, you know, oh, I'll just have one glass of wine. What? The only thing that one glass of wine has ever meant for me is there's a second one coming. 
<laughs> I, 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 I don't understand one glass of wine as a concept. I mean, that's not how the stuff's designed for a start. So, yeah, I completely agree with that quote. Now, I'm going to give you one that comes from a personal hero, uh, John Cleese, he of um, Monty Python fame, and uh, also a little TV series. James Bond. Well, yes, he turned up in that as well, um, but also uh, Faulty Towers. It, he, he and I uh, share the distinction of both having been kicked out of one of England's public schools. We were both, um, well, I, I was indefinitely rusticated. I don't quite know what happened to him. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> he was, he's very active on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter. Um, I, I think he's called something imaginative like John Cleese, but he came out with a comment on Matt Hancock, who is the current health secretary for the UK um, and has hence been at the forefront of the, the war on COVID, if I can call it that. Uh, John Cleese wrote, I would not trust potato face further than I could throw a wet mattress up a spiral staircase. <laughs> Which is both a wonderful image, a fantastically difficult thing to do if you think about it, and it rhymes. Which I, I'm just, I'm blown away. But I don't know, I'm going to guess that that was crafted that he sat down and wrote that and thought about it and edited it because there is not a word in there that isn't required. Mm -hmm. Further than I could throw a wet mattress up a spiral staircase. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It really is. I, and you've got to wonder where you come up with that idea of throwing a wet mattress up a spiral staircase. You know, I, it's, it's not an analogy that just rolls off the tongue, you know? Yeah, many, many of the replies to the tweet were along those lines. <laughs> Earth, are you doing throwing wet mattresses up spiral staircases or up staircases spiral or otherwise? Was one that I read. Anyway. Right. Parish notices. Yeah, so uh, what have you got for parish notices, Stu? Right now, in fact, just, just an hour or so ago, um, the steps in the pool have been completed. So uh, I'm very, very fortunate in that my... Mum and dad, when they built this house, a couple of years after they built it, they, they got a pool put in the, in the backyard. And uh, it's, it's my joy to get up in the morning, particularly when it's hot, and, and go for a swim. But they, um, for reasons that are lost in the, in the mysteries of time, they had a little ladder at the end of the pool, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine, I think, when you're young and fit. Um, two things that I could no longer be accused of being. <laughs> I, I don't particularly have a problem. I, I, I sort of throw myself into the pool. Um, uh, getting out, I do need some help, either a ladder or, or some stairs. Uh, Mrs. Lennon is far more sensible than I. And she went, well, we should have steps. Mm -hmm. well, well, it's a bit late now, isn't it? But apparently, well, in fact, definitely, it's not very complicated. So what, what's happened is the, um, this little fellow, his name is Ahmed. Um, he's a, he's a lovely chap from Syria and he's come along and he's cut the sort of corner of the lining of the pool out and he's got some blocks and he's, he's built a series of semicircular steps in the corner. And then once the sort of base is in there, he slaps some concrete on it and then he whips some sort of plaster type stuff on top of that. And then he cuts a lining. Over that, with all sorts of, you know, non-slip coverings and things, 
and restores everything back to watertight, I hope. Interesting. So you've got the uh, empty pool at the moment then? Yeah, empty pool. And uh, because of the way that it works here, you have to have your pool filled by the pool man. <laughs> you can't turn on the tap yourself, huh? No. Turning on the tap yourself uh, will, uh, will get you in real trouble. Water's a scarce resource in Cyprus. So it will take two and a bit tankers to fill the pool, I'm told. Um, and each, each tanker's worth will cost me about 120 euros. So pretty much for, for a bit less than 300 euros, I will, uh, my, my pool will be restored. And that should be happening. Well, that should have happened before this episode goes out. So I will be back to swimming at the weekend. Very nice. So yes, I've got old people steps <laughs> being put into the pool. That's, that's essentially what's happening in my world. So I can come visit you now because uh, I'm old people and I need steps. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure like me, you would throw yourself in uh, with gay abandon. It's the getting out thing that I think they could really be handy for. If it's uh, 90 degrees outside, I'm not getting out. <laughs> I'll just become a raisin and stay there forever because uh, being heat, oh, bad, bad, bad. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the other stuff that's going, we've had electricity now put through to the, to the sort of the pool shed. Oh. Um, and there's a there's another fridge going to be going in there so there will be cold drinks and hanging out by the pool and shade and it's going to become quite the little hangout i hope uh you know there's a nice big loud fridge that you could take out there just <laughs> saying make my life easier i i was here when they put this into this room okay this house will be dismantled around that fridge it will still be here in 2000 years as some sort of time capsule once the house has been dismantled that we like a roman ruin with a big fridge in the middle <laughs> uh, you know i'm i'm thinking of something similar in my house uh, when i moved in i built myself i've got a base an unfinished basement here and i built myself a workbench and it was built with the idea that i'm going to use it for woodworking and tools and all the rest of that it is solid and i looked at it with the idea of moving it and went no this is this is not going out of this door. No way. It just isn't going to happen. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's the sensible way to do it. Anyway, let's get Gerald on to restore some order. This is the three-pin plug. I'm not going to do it properly because I've forgotten most of it, but you know this is TJ. It's not Gerald. Gerald's got the day off. I'm reporting in live from a bird's nest. I'm kidding. I'm beside a hot tub in the Sperrins, which is a mountain range in Northern Ireland. Overlooking a very cloudy set of sperms. Uh, we are beside our stargazing pod that we stayed in last night, which was stunning. Uh, it was cloudy all night. We saw not one star, but still fantastic. Uh, so three pin plug, three pin plug. I'm not in this episode, so I guess I just shoehorn myself in somewhere. So I'm going to do the three pin plug, but I've forgotten most of what Gerald says, so I'm just going to make it up. You know what? I'm just going to put a little links in the show note and you can go look at them there because... Oh, Gerald's a real professional, and I'm not living up to his expertise. Either way, I hope you enjoyed my little my little foray into three-pin plugging. But, uh, yeah, it's starting to rain, which is <laughs> standard practice. It's been beautiful weather for the first two days of our trip. And then the day that we're outside in a camping pod, and we want to see the stars, when clear, bright, warm weather would have been perfect, it rained and was cloudy. So, there you go, Northern Ireland in a nutshell. Ah... <sighs> By the time you hear this, I'll be home again, but uh, we're heading off uh, to the towns and cities, so we're going to do a bit more sort of urban 
staying now, uh, which would be good fun. So I think cocktails and a wee bit of shopping and a little bit of hanging out is uh, on the cards. So, so I hope you enjoyed this little episode of 1857 without me in it. Uh, maybe it's better. Don't tell me if it is. I don't want to know. Thanks, Justin, for filling in. And I can see Megan returning now to the pod. So I'm going to go. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. There he is. The consummate professional as ever. Now, what are we going to talk about today, Justin? Well, I need some help, Stu. I'm, I'm moving and managing the stress of a big move. So I, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is <laughs> uncharted territory for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the background of why this is such a big deal for me. The first house that I bought is the house I live in now. I've been here for 22 years. I've even actually had to buy it twice because I had to buy it uh, out of my ex-wife's name as well. Uh, So I haven't moved in 22 years. I have a lot of stuff. I've pack-ratted all of my stuff in here. (laughs) And I now have sold this house in a unplanned, seemingly random idea of, hey, people are knocking on my door offering me big money to move. So yeah, I have no clue what I'm doing. It is, it's, it's a big stress. I, I don't move. I don't leave. I, 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 I'm, yeah, just way out of my league. Now you are a bit of a nomad and you always have been, I know. Mm-hmm. I need, to, I need help. I need st- stress management, Stu. Give me, give me something help. There's, um, there's a couple of ways of doing this. There's the TJ way. So uh, if you can just gather up family members and give them all a couple of carrier bags full of stuff and, and just say, just head about four and a half hours that way uh, and drop it off at the new place. That's probably how TJ would handle the sort of the mechanics of the move. Mm. And being Northern Ireland, he will have an uncle who knows a mate who runs a, you know, who's got a huge truck and it will just all happen. The, the stew way would be to entirely outsource the entire process and get one of those companies that charge what seems a huge sum of money to come in and pack everything you own, take it to the new place and unpack it all. It does cost a lot of money, but some things might be worth it. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the moves I've done, which have largely dependent upon who I've been married to at the time, have involved either we're doing it all ourselves or we're paying someone else to do it. And the paying someone else to do it, I think, is just absolutely, it's worth every cent. Because as you've correctly identified, you've got a lot of stuff. Because all the stuff you think you've got, you've got 10 times that. The smart thing to do is to say, right, okay, this is my opportunity to, to minimalize, to reduce everything down to the essential and you can get all Mary Kondo and, you know, does this bring me joy? Unfortunately, you're a stationary freak. So there's no way in the world that you're going, no, I shall leave these 400 notebooks and take those two. Or there's no way you're looking at your IT and going, external monitors, I don't need them. I'll just have my little MacBook. I'll be fine. It's not going to happen. So for me, did I ever get stressed about moving the background the reason that i'm quite nomadic is my parents were forces so they were both in the air force my mum left the air force and started sort of you know being being a a um an anchor point i guess for me 
because uh, the way the British forces used to work was you got a series of three-year postings. So you would be in, um, when I was very, very young, I was in Maastricht in Holland. And then from there, uh, we got stationed. We didn't. My dad got stationed to, I'm going to guess, probably somewhere in Oxfordshire in England. And so we would then move. And then for three years, you'd be there. And then it would be like, and now you're going to Western Supermare on the West Coast. Okay, great. Well, and you moved there for three years. And so it was very itinerant. And my mother went, no, 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 this is no way to, to drag up a child. So what we're going to do is set down roots in one place. She was going to stay there. And my dad was going to uh, either sort of weekly commute or if possible, daily commute, depending on where he was stationed. So mm-hmm. there was a time when my mum and I were living in Bristol in the United Kingdom. And my dad was working just outside of Brussels in Belgium. And he would come back by car about once every six weeks. And I'll give you an idea of how long ago this was. This was, you know, he, he would basically fill the car with alcohol in Belgium. So it's <laughs> beer and wine. Nothing to declare. And then drive and get the ferry and then come across. Uh, so, you know, it was a, the best part of a day's travel for him. And that, that's how we lived. But during those early, uh, my, my mum got really good at moving because I, I guess that was the way things worked back then. My dad was in the Royal Air Force and all of the domestic stuff. My mother was officer commanding domestic. And so she would organize all the moves. And I sort of inherited her, her framing of all that, which was, okay, you know, this, this, this is life. This is how life works. And so when I left school, I went to live in Paris. And I went with, uh, I went with the rucksack. That was it. And I found a job. I found an apartment and I started my life. And then from there, what did I do from there? Then I went to the French Alps, uh, likewise with the rucksack. And I was working up there. So I had company accommodation in a chalet. I was running a bureau de change in a ski resort. Hard life, I know. <laughs> and then from there, I went to the Côte d'Azur, Nice. Um, again, and company accommodation. So all of that was a really sort of, it was a very good way to start moving because it was all quite small scale. (laughs) You know, I basically carried all my stuff. And then as I started getting older, uh, I, I, I moved to Bulgaria in the nineties and got an apartment there. And I also had an apartment. I had two apartments. How old was I? I was 23 years old. I had two apartments. Lucky me. Wow. Um, one in, in, uh, in Budapest, in Hungary. And at this point, I started acquiring furniture. And, you know, life was getting a little bit more serious, I guess. I had significant others. And then from there, I, I was moving quite a lot. So I, I, I moved to an apartment in Prague, and then back to Budapest, and then back to Prague, and then back to Budapest. All the time acquiring more. And that's where I got introduced to, to corporate movers. You know, these guys will come in and just do everything for you. Um, I thought, yeah, this is definitely the way for me. And then, uh, I got introduced to the idea of paying for those corporate movers and went, Oh, Oh, well, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. No. Um, and then I, so I did a move without, without corporate movers. And then I went, Oh, yep. Yeah, no, it's worth paying the money. Uh, and just factored it into, into how I, how I sort of finance moves and look at financing. But for me, moving is, is an adventure. It's exciting. 
it's a reinvention. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, you know, do something that scares you every day. And moving is scary because you're leaving behind pretty much all of your routines because they are affected by context and where you are and how the house flows and how it works. Your, you know, your familiar contacts, people that, you know, even the guy in, in the store where you buy your newspaper or, you know, your milk or it's all different. And that, that is, I think, really exciting. And terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, we're both very lucky in that we live in extremely civilized places. And, you know, whatever you need uh, in, in the heartland of, of British Columbia, you'll be able to get. I don't know if there's not even a Starbucks in this town. <laughs> well, given that I know what your, your little nest of companies does, you're not a Starbucks drinker anyway. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I think all those things, what I learned from them was to, to look at how these things would positively affect my life. So for you, I mean, uh, and for your family, this is going to be a big thing. You know, you'd be out in the countryside. So presumably, well, where are you? Canada. So presumably you're going to meet bears and stuff. <laughs> it's going to be. Brrr. Yeah, there's bears. There's uh, lots of deer. There's quail. There's, uh, uh, you know, I, I was thinking of you when somebody actually told me this. There are rattlesnakes up there. Fantastic. No, no. At least they let you know they're coming. Well, I guess this is true. Uh, there are, uh, I've been told that I'm going to have to be careful taking the princess out uh, because there are golden eagles in the area. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And apparently they like to come down and uh, steal off uh, cats and uh, small dogs. So, uh, yeah, these, these things that I'm going to have to think about and uh, decide how to deal with. Although I, I think most eagles will look at you slightly askance. They'll go, at the other end of that piece of string from that little dog that looks quite tasty is a big fella. I'm not sure I'm going to take him on. But that, I think, is princess's protection. But yeah, you might want to be careful letting her go for a run on her own. Yeah. Oh, my, my princess does not go for a run on her own. No, no neither do mine. <laughs> like, to go to the bathroom, you know, we, we take her out into the backyard. And uh, my princess, uh, for those that don't know, is a long-haired Lassa Apsom. So if you can think of the most manly dog known to mankind... This is a complete opposite. <laughs> she has a pink little ponytail in the top of her hair. She's got long hair. She likes to be carried everywhere. Uh, but she won't go to the bathroom in the backyard on her own. She'll go and step out onto the deck that we have. She'll stop. She'll turn around and she'll wait for me. She is extremely spoiled. She gets hand fed. Uh, one kibble at a time because she has a very uh, sensitive little tummy and uh, it likes to be hand fed. Uh, so yes, I have this dog that doesn't go anywhere, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, and there's, there's me, you know, with uh, all the tattoos and the Harley and this, uh, this little foo-foo dog. It just doesn't <laughs> really fit very well, but uh, you know, I love her so much. It's uh, quite an amazing thing that uh, I never expected to be. Well, it's going to be a great, great adventure for her, all these new smells and yeah, look out for the eagles and bears and that sort of stuff. But I mean, are there things that you as a family are looking at and going, oh, I'm really interested in that? Or, you know, Because I assume British Columbia, you're going to be somewhere near a lake, aren't you? I mean, there's a lot of lakes and stuff up there. Yeah, there's uh, this, this town actually borders onto the lake and one of the properties we were looking at actually had a lake view. And one of the things we realized... Uh, 
the reason we're selling our house here, the neighborhood has been developed and that's why it's become quite desirable. Uh, I used to be the second house down from basically a forest in a cul-de-sac. So it was very, very quiet when I moved in. Mm-hmm. That is now a through road and there are these large multifamily houses on there. So traffic has picked up. Uh, parking is now much more difficult because there's a lot of tenants around. And it's it certainly changed the dynamic of where I live. And we had always had this idea of, hey, when we're old, we'll retire to the country. And so a year of working from home has realized that I can work anywhere. You know, um, the need to find an office to go into is not there anymore. And, you know, I'm not sure what that'll look like in the future, but certainly it's opened up opportunities that weren't there before. And so we decided, you know what, now is the time. Um, you know, my daughter needed to make a move to, to help her out. Um, she was, uh, she's had a rough year and, uh, mm-hmm. this will really give her something positive to look forward to. And is she excited? Is she, she is quite excited. So the house we've got, uh, almost has a little suite in it for her. Oh, okay. So she's going to have, uh, her own bedroom, her own living room, her own little kitchenette. Uh, she's going to have a bathroom. And all of that is on the other side of a big door that leads to the rest of the house. Oh, yeah. So uh, as a 17-year-old, uh, hey, who wouldn't love to have your own little apartment? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I think it's going to be great for her. You know, my wife is certainly excited. Uh, my brother-in-law lives up in that area, which is kind of how we got uh, introduced to it. It's, it's, a, it's a quiet, small community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were up there on the weekend. And we went into town to get a coffee, not a Starbucks, but a regular coffee. And people were actually waving at us as they were walking past and we were in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got out onto the street and walked up to the coffee place. Everybody stops and said, good morning. And been in a Vancouver has become a big metropolitan area that is a lot less friendly than it used to be. Sure. And it's not until you get out into a neighborhood that is much more friendly, you know, where people walk and people talk that you realize, wow, yeah, I've kind of been missing this. So it's, it's sort of our retirement come early. I mean, we're definitely way too young for retirement, but the flexibility to do this and to look at this as an option. Uh, financially just made sense to us as well, because sort of there was, we're in a little pocket of, uh, demand for this area for houses. Uh, my house of course is going to get flattened at some point, uh, and built into a, a large, a large home. I'm on a, a fair size lot. So that'll really help that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a big change. Um, as you said, I'm everything from, I don't know anybody up there apart from my brother-in-law and his family. Okay. And, uh, you know, that is having to find which coffee shop to go to. Where do I go to find uh, a, a mailbox? Where do I uh, go to get groceries? You know, little little things like that. Uh, I have found all the vineyards, though. <laughs> vineyards and cideries. Priorities. <clears throat> that in itself is a good reason for moving up there. Uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll be sort of quiet. It'll be, you know, I, I think coming out of lockdown, spending a year at home has made me realize 
Yeah, I could do that. It's it's kind of nice to be a bit of a homebody. You don't have to be out uh, visiting places and shopping and all the things that a big town, a big city offers you. A little town, I should be able to do most of that. Uh, remote, you know, Amazon, I think, still delivers up there. So I'll be fine. <laughs> well, there we go. Civilization, there's the test. Mm-hmm. Can you get Amazon? That's it. Well, it's, you know, is, um, is, does Mrs. T work? Is she able to sort of continue what she does up there? Or? Yeah, well, figure out how that works. Uh, she is a nurse. Uh, so there's a town about uh, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour away that does have a hospital. So she should be able to find work in there because it's all within the province and it's all within the same union. It, it, it'll, it'll be a change for her, but uh, I think it'll be a very good change for for all of us and mm. uh, it's you know definitely getting out into the unknown it's it'll be it'll be very interesting for sure quite excited but absolutely nervous i, I i've got to say though you know in, in deference to tj uh no spreadsheets were used in the making of this decision it was all random wow you really were living on the edge for me, yeah. I, I am very much uh, a spreadsheet type of analyzer. <laughs> You're on the TJ side of this equation normally. <laughs> I, I certainly am. And and doing this is just so out of character for me. I, I don't do uncertainty. Uh, you know, I was thinking about selling the house uh, and something came up or, around my daughter that we decided, okay, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And my idea was, well, if it sells, it sells. If not, it it that's fine. We're fine. And yeah, it sold. And then it was like, oh, heck, now what do I do? Yeah. So now it was, it was a, a flurry of activity and, uh, trying to, you know, try to buy a house when you're, you know, 400 some kilometers away is not as easy as one would expect. Sure. And I mean, do you think you've had the time yet to sort of sit down and go, okay, so what are we what are we taking from this move? What are we going to get? What are we going to do this different? What things are we going to take advantage of? Have you had the time to do that, or is it still working out? You know who's going to back up the bathrooms and you know all of the yeah, well, luckily, we've got a little bit of time. The move itself won't be till early September, which um, gives us we took a long closing on on the house mm-hmm. that we just bought we're We bought this house. there were some opportunities for this house. We bought a bigger house. I'm going to have a music room so I can set up my studio and all of the guitars. And my wife and I, uh, we're both musicians, so we'll have a room, a large room to play music in. Cool. And that's going to be fantastic. I've got specific rooms set up for my hobbies. I've got uh, an office that has a, a view of the mountains, which will be absolutely gorgeous. Um, and that that really is going to be some of the advantages of this house that we're we're kind of looking forward to. And, you know, it'll, it'll be a different, it'll be a change, but uh, I think we're ready for it after this year, uh, you know, mm. getting out and trying something different, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big, big change. Stressful. If I had any hair, I'd be pulling it out over this. <laughs> and, and I did hear the, the pop of a beer. You did indeed. I've just popped open a keel. Uh, we've, uh, for those that are listening, it's 1825. So the sun is over the yard arm in my view. Um, and yeah, time, time for a little beer because I'm fascinated by this. It's, um, it's so exciting to me to be, cause you're not just changing where you live. You're making a real sort of lifestyle switch, aren't you? Yeah. It's going to be a huge change for us. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be good. You, you did something similar when you moved out to Cyprus. Yeah. I mean, 
the the issue for me about this time because i'm people people are mystified by it but i've moved countries so often um either with my parents or without them and i've done it through so many different political systems that it really doesn't bother me so people are like, oh you're going to move to a new country yeah yeah well you know I, do you, do you have to get papers maybe um because it's always possible. <laughs> it's, I think I was probably just too stupid to realize that it could be complicated. So I would arrive in the new country. And, and I'll be honest with you, the first thing, I have a superpower, Justin, and that oh. you can drop me in anywhere in the world and I can find an Irish pub with my eyes closed. <laughs> and so, so what happens is that I go to the Irish pub and order a beer. I mean, fairly straightforward so far. But there's always Brits in Irish pubs. And so I would I would have a drink and I'd be talking and I'd be, oh, well, so you live here. Oh, cool. Do you have to get papers and stuff? Yeah, yeah, you go to so-and-so. And, and before you know it, you've got an entire handbook to establishing yourself in a new place. So it never really bothered me. And then, of course, you, you do crazy things like get married. And so the, the, the issue for me with, with, uh, with Margaret was always... Margaret's Italian, uh, Sicilian even, which is sort of, uh, it's sort of Italian distilled. And, you know, they're hugely oriented around the family. And you could throw a blanket over a part of North London and you would cover sort of about 130 blood relatives. And when we were, when I was um, in the money transfer business and my partner and I were setting up the business, uh, I've told this story before. He he was commuting in from Hampshire, and it was taking him less time to get seventy five miles than it was taking me to take the ten miles across London, mm-hmm. just because well you know London. And so I sort of suggested to her bravely. I thought, you know, let's let's go and live in the country, and that was for Margaret. That was a huge thing. That was her stepping outside of her her family. Um, and you know she was get this right, she was in her early 40s and still lived with her dad. So she'd lost her, she'd lost her mum young and she'd kind of, it, it was, uh, depending on who you asked, he was looking after her or she was looking after him, one of the two. And, you know, it was, it was she was a full-blown grown-up doing her own thing, but she just lived with her dad. And next door, um, is her cousin, who is married to a lovely Spanish fellow, and they had been sort of almost surrogate brother and sister to her. And round the corner were a couple of sisters. <laughs> so, for her to move to the countryside, seventy-five miles—that that was a big thing. That was huge. And we talked about that for probably a year before we did it. And I, it was a real leap of faith for her. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that was actually it. That was the move for her. After that, we then moved from a small town in Hampshire to a village. So again, you know, just away from the London concept where, you know, the the throbbing metropolis to tiny little village that's got one shop and a pub, um, in fairness. Yeah, that sounds like where I'm going. Hmm. And again, those, you know, for a Londoner, 
um, that's difficult for an Italian, that's difficult for a Sicilian, that's difficult. If you're all three, it's really hard. And each move for her was just another sort of step, but it was that first move that was the difficult one for her. So with the, with the house in, in Cyprus, um, my mum was desperate to come back to the UK. And so she'd, she'd come back. And uh, because I'd sold the business and stuff, I'd, I'd sort of sorted out a house and everything. And then we, we had this house here as a, as a holiday home, which, you know, holiday homes are, they're awkward, to be honest. Um, if you were going to buy a holiday home, you'd probably buy it in an area that was really accessible and easy to get to. That is accessible, isn't it? <laughs> you'd buy somewhere that, that would be attractive, uh, not just to you, but to other people, you know, so close to the airport. And yeah. This isn't. This is a house that was, was designed and built to be lived in. Um, and a holiday home, and if anybody's thinking about buying a holiday home, don't let me put you off. Don't do it. Don't don't buy a holiday home. Because all it does, it means it just means that you have the same holiday every year. Which you know, part of the joy of a holiday is that it's something different. To get away from it. Um yeah. So we we were just talking really, and it was it was all I mean, this is all documented in 1857. And we came out here as a as an experiment just to see if uh it would be the sort of lifestyle that that she would like and then we had all sorts of setbacks again you know all documented in the podcast but now um you know she's not fluent but my she speaks greek um and she's continuing to learn uh whereas i'm being really lazy and i'm not she's doing all the little i describe it as men men tend to go and pee in the corners to mark their territory (laughs) women do other stuff um, and, and she's, she's getting a real feel for, for living here. And I think it's, it's about that, that sense of adventure. And just today we had this conversation where, you know, are we making the best of, of being here? And we were, our wedding anniversary is coming up and a sort of the standard stew approach to that sort of thing is to go and book into a, a really posh hotel somewhere, a five star, just for a day or two, um, so that we can. Just be sort of, you know, waited on. A man after my own heart. Yeah. Well, this time I was, uh, because, because at the moment the home improvements just keep coming, Justin. <laughs> they just keep coming at me. Uh-oh. I mean, I'm now putting steps in my swimming pool. I mean, I can't believe it. Um, I, I just like, is it really a great idea to go and spend some money to go and sit by someone's swimming pool when I've got one in the backyard? What, why would I do that? And I, I said to my, I said, look, let's, Let's just get ourselves a, a cheap room somewhere. Not, not terrible, but it's, uh, I, I found a place I booked it. Um, it's a little sort of holiday apartment. It's in, a, it's in a town that's quite remote by Cypriot standards. I mean, it's a small island, but hey. And we're going to stay there, and then we're going to go, and we're going to take a cruise, not, not a cruise liner. This is, you know, a little boat that goes to a, a thing called the Blue Lagoon, which is very beautiful. Um, and you can have a barbecue on the boat and that type of thing. Let's do that. And then we'll just jump in the car and we'll drive to this place. And there's a little hike up there. And we're just going to do little basic things like that. And it's, it's a, that's to me what that, what a, what a move is about is taking advantage of the place that you're going to and the opportunity that it affords you to kind of reset stuff, to reset habits, good ones and bad ones. And say, you know, okay, I, I'd got into a rut 
because you know you lived in a place for 20 years and you you start doing things certain ways and i think it's good to shake those things up now and again just to sort of challenge yourself and go okay so maybe we all need to go for a hike as a family and i appreciate that the teenage daughter is probably going over my dead body but you know what i mean <laughs> pretty much yes <laughs> it's it's looking at those those little things because you know as as you know better than anyone that that teenager will soon be you know flying the nest and these these days and months and weeks and and years that you have together are really really precious now um but yeah perhaps not take it for a hike but you know what i mean like, it will inevitably create yeah you're going to be in this adventure together and i think that that's got to be binding hasn't it yeah i you know i think in terms of you and your wife we're completely the opposite my wife is more the nomad who has moved around. Mm -hmm. I am the person that stays put. So I'm much like your your wife was mm -hmm. uh, before she started this process. But yeah, I think it, it certainly has brought uh, my my wife and I closer together. And you know, certainly I think is is helping Kaylee out uh, in terms of giving her something positive to look forward to when we when we make a big change. So uh, I, I'm really excited. I'm absolutely scared. Um, very nervously, um, mm -hmm. I, I had to self-censor there, so I didn't have to censor and edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm really scared about it. It's uh, a big change for me and you're right. It is a chance to reset everything, uh, in a good way as well, but, uh, you don't realize what kind of habits you get into until you do have to look at how am I going to realize those? How am I going to, uh, work in those, uh, on the other side? You know, uh, even weird things like uh, I own, we, we own three motorcycles between us. Uh, how are we going to get those and the three cars and all of the stuff mm -hmm. out to the middle of nowhere? So, yeah, moving companies, I think, are going to be very busy with us. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you, well, I suppose you could ride, ride one, one each and then. But how do you get back here? Mm, yeah, that's probably a big taxi ride that I'm going to guess that's. That's an Uber fare that dreams are made of. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, it's uh, logistics are going to be a problem, and I may have to break out a spreadsheet uh, and and put some things in my task manager too. Well, that's the other thing is that the actual process itself becomes then uh, all about logistics and operations, and I I can almost hear you licking your lips at the thought of okay, let me work out how to get this done best and with the least sort of problems and hassles and yeah. I, what advice can I give? I, I, to me, it is about framing. It's about going, this is great. This is something that, you know, I've chosen to do. And the very worst thing that can happen is that I can say, do you know what? We're going to sell this and we're going to buy something somewhere else because I don't like it anymore. But that's not going to happen. No, I don't think so. The biggest concern that I had, the biggest stress actually was the not knowing. Uh, we sold our house and literally until we sold our house, uh, the market out here is crazy. I had no idea what we were going to do once we sold the house mm -hmm. and looking around and trying to visit and, you know, see what was out there. The inventory is a little low at the moment. It's, it's really a seller's market and that works well when you're selling a house, but not so well when you're trying to buy one. And that was where it was stressful. The fact that we've found a house that we like, we've put an offer in on it. It's been accepted. That just becomes an exercise in execution. Now that gives me a lot of 
that one I could do. I could do execution. But the stress of the unknown, even though there is going to be a lot of stress of torpedoing everything about your life and having to recreate it up there, that's going to be a fun challenge, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, qu- I'm quite looking forward to that, you know, with the, the environment and that small town friendliness. Um, I was actually just looking up. I found a, it's not an Irish pub, but there is actually a pub up there that I think I'll have to go and meet some of the locals in. Oh, for sure. I mean, just uh, pitch up on your Harley. You'll be a celebrity instantly, I would imagine. <laughs> I'm not sure my neighbors are going to think that, but uh, we'll, we'll have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, small towns um, are a different challenge. We live in a, uh, we, we moved to a small town and then from a small town to a village. And now I live in a, a small village where most of the people don't speak the same language as me. But um, in itself, that does create all of those positives that you can imagine. And some negatives that you probably don't imagine, but on balance, you you kind of reinvent yourself when you come to a new place. I think that's refreshing. It's like shedding a skin and you know just being uh, being new and and excited and all these things. I mean, Margaret just today she went off and she's went to a place uh, down by the coast where she's going to start doing a making a jewelry making jewelry course. Oh, good! Another expensive hobby. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think it's cheap jewelry. I hope it's cheap jewelry. But it's um, you know, I'm thinking. Well, would she have done that when we were back in the UK? No, she wouldn't. She wouldn't have done that. So it's definitely uh, opportunity because presumably, moving from metropolitan to rural, that's going to create sort of new hobby opportunities. I mean, you, you're going to have all your old ones, your music and uh, your office, you know, work. You're still going to have those environments within the house, and it sounds like they're going to be very, very nice environments, sort of made to your own spec. So that's going to be great fun on its own. But then, presumably, there's quite a lot of life is lived outside in in rural British Columbia. I'm guessing. Yeah, we have a fire pit in the backyard. Oh, cool! I have no idea what to do with a fire pit. I'm assuming you make fire there. Yeah, yeah, that's the starting point, definitely. Um, Fire Pit 101, I think, involves marshmallows and sticks. Mm, I don't need marshmallows. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. I'm going to have to find some vegan marshmallows and see if they burn just as well. That must be. I mean, what's, what's, what's not vegan about a marshmallow? Uh, the gelatin in it. The gelatin. You see, now I'm learning stuff. I didn't know that. We're, we're not going to talk about that. That's gross. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All righty then. I'll turn off. Uh, I'll turn off all the listeners. So, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have done some research, Justin. Um, that I mean, some might suggest that there could be an ulterior motive here. But uh, yes, I would concur with your assessment of the wine. That sounds like something that would greatly benefit from the uh, from the Lennon touch, uh, if I could be so bold. Uh, and and I do believe there's good golfing up there too. You you take my point from me, sir. That's exactly what there is. There seems to be at least one and a half nice courses very close by. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suspect if I were prepared to throw the web a little bit wider, then uh, there might even be more. So golf, wine, a bit of cider for the mornings, a fire pit. Some warm sun. Yes, it's warm uh, sun. I, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Eagles, bears, I yeah, I mean, obviously, I'll brief you um, about the things that you can and cannot mention to the current Mrs. Lennon when we're discussing uh, the impending visit. <laughs> yeah, so certainly try try and keep any mention of, of eagles and bears to the absolute minimum. 
Uh, rattlesnakes, they're, they're a no-go. Yeah, no, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll probably up the spa count. <laughs> I'm sure there are some there. There's uh, some tourist uh, areas there. Well, it's, it's very exciting. And I think what we'll have to do um, is, is get you back once you've moved. We'll have to have you back on just to tell us how it's all going with the, you know, the snakes and the bears and the eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a fun one. And, you know, then we can have TJ on, do a three-person one and get all confused between JT and GJ. Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to feel a bit left out with the initials, but I'll, I'll come up with something. I, I'll, I'll cope. I just, it won't be me doing the editing, so it won't be that bad. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, Justin, you've been an absolute legend. Thank you very much for stepping in for TJ, who's swanning about with some pathetic excuse that he's just got married i mean honestly Mm. a mini moon um but no it's been brilliant i've really enjoyed the chat and well i've been Stu lennon and i've been justin twyford remember to make the past the present in the future this was 1857 oh yeah and remember to make the past the present in the future this was a in the field episode for me anyway of 1857